0: Hi, my name's Madalena Kay, and I'm the host of the podcast AI & You, produced by Europod in partnership with Podium Podcast, Agence France Presse, and Cora Media. In AI & You, we deal with the history of AI and how it is having an impact on our lives, from social relationships to employment, from climate change to wars and security. Is AI changing our world for the better or the worse? Come and check it out for yourself. Subscribe to AI and you wherever you listen to podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
2: That's what we've learned from, <laughs> from previous years. Wherever a Pride march has been banned in other countries, it just leaves the community more fragile. And it often comes with a fueling of hatred. Unfortunately, it does also give more confidence to opposing voices.
1: On Tuesday this week, Serbian authorities banned the iconic EuroPride Pride March, which was supposed to take place on Saturday in the country's capital, Belgrade. The march would have been the culmination of the EuroPride Pride week, the leading yearly event in Europe, through which the LGBTQI community gathers and voices its demands for stronger rights and equality. The announcement of the ban came after that, in August, the Serbian president Aleksandr Vucic had hinted at the likely cancellation of the event. But until this Tuesday, the organizers of EuropePride had reaffirmed it was not up to the president to cancel a public event. In fact, as of today, so also after the official ban, the people behind the Europride continue to say that they will march. The ban of the Europride march inevitably puts Belgrade and Serbia under the spotlight. Today, on Europe Talks Back, the ban of the Europride in Belgrade and the situation of the LGBTQI community in Serbia and the Western Balkans. We'll be right back. Evelyn Paradis is the Executive Director of ILGA Europe. ILGA Europe is the leading advocacy group promoting the interests of lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans and intersex people at the European level. We interviewed Evelyn on the morning of Tuesday 13th of September, just a few hours before the official announcement of the ban of the Europe Pride Parade, came in. For the ban was not official yet. During the interview, we used the conditional tense when discussing the cancellation of the Pride itself. So this is me talking to Evelyn Paradis about the very fragile situation in Belgrade these days and ours, but also more generally the most recent developments of LGBTQI rights in the Western Balkans and across the European Union. Evelyn, we brought you in as an expert for what concerns the rights and situation of the LGBTQI community in Europe. More specifically, we are focusing on the Western Balkans. In this episode, you, as well, the executive director of ILGA Europe, which is the leading organization across Europe when it comes to the defense of the rights of this community. So, I would like to start to talk with you about what the current situation is in Belgrade, in Serbia, where we know we have Europe Pride 2022 going on. Probably, you will tell us because we had a few weeks ago an announcement by the president of Serbia, Alexander Vučić, saying. Your pride is going to be cancelled, and then we had counter message saying it's impossible to cancel your pride. So, can you help us understand what's going on right now in Serbia and Belgrade?
2: Indeed, I think um, it's it's important for many different levels. It's important uh, first and foremost, of, of course, for the for the community and the movement in Serbia and and more largely in the Western Balkans. But it's also I think for us at the moment, a real illustration of everything that is coming together around LGBTI equality and human rights. So to answer directly your question, a little over two weeks ago, the president of Serbia, Vucic, announced that he was cancelling the Pride. Concretely, in practice, he does not hold the authority to cancel the Pride. It is the local authorities in, in Belgrade, the police, that can call to banning an event. However, what the declaration did was to really fuel on one hand, public discussions, but also, you know, a whole range of tensions for the organizers, because up till the declaration of the president, all of the pride until that point, the preparations and organization of the pride was going along as planned with all of the adequate discussions that needed to be with the local authorities, making sure that security was going to be there for for participants and good cooperation with all the local authorities. And also So, uh, with, as they thought, uh, political support, because when Euro Pride was announced to be in Belgrade a few years back, there was a support expressed by the prime minister at that time. So, what's going on is actually, to be very honest, very, very volatile. And there is the possibility until 4 p.m. today, a formal announcement of a ban of the Pride can happen. So that's the delay. That's the maximum delay that the local authorities have to ban the Pride. And it's extraordinarily volatile. So it, it could go in many different ways.
1: What would such a ban imply? Does it mean banning the parade? Does it mean banning also smaller case event, which are taking place, I guess, privately in many places?
2: It's banning the march. As you can imagine, for prides, it's normally like this in in most cities, but even more so when it's it's the Euro pride. So there's quite a number of of events that are organized, and there's a human rights conference, social cultural events, smaller meetings, and that is all going ahead. What is at stake here is the ability to march, as has been announced and planned on Saturday, on the 17th of September in the afternoon. This, you know, banning the possibility. So so if people are marching, they would be marching without the permission of the local authorities, which also then can have serious implications in terms of protection, the protection received by the police and public law enforcement. But of course, that is the crucial piece of a Pride. It's always been the core of Pride events is the ability to march, to be visible, in the public space. That's where it comes. Comes from all of the movements dating back to Stonewall movements back in the late 60s and early 70s of the community saying we are claiming our public space. So banning the possibility to be in that public space is the core for everybody, including for those who want to ban visibility for LGBTI people.
1: So I understand the situation is, again, really volatile, as you as you mentioned. It's difficult to say what's going to happen. If the ban takes place, it means, as you described, there's no assurance that police will protect, as it usually does, who is marching, because police is there to protect who is marching. We cannot speculate about, you know, how dangerous that can be, obviously. I think it would be unresponsible right now to do so. But how does then a ban impact, let's say, what the movement for the defense of the rights of the LGBTQI plus community you know, try to defend. What would happen after the ban?
2: If there is a ban, it's firstly a reminder of just how much equality and human rights for LGBTI people is far from being secured. Because the right to freedom of assembly as a human right has been thought of one of the most established, you know, fundamental freedoms. There's 20 years of experiences in a European context very robust, uh, for instance, case law coming from the European Court of Human Rights. So in many ways, it is probably the aspect of LGBTI human rights that has been most established and reaffirmed. And yet we would be seeing that, you know, in our region, it still can be easily challenged. So it's a reminder that we can definitely not be complacent and that things are very, very fragile. So that's the bigger picture, I think. Concretely, I think, yes, I would expect that local organizers will challenge a ban. They would challenge in the coming days, but also challenge post facto, depending on what happens. But it's also, I think, going to leave, I mean, that's what we've learned from, (laughs) from previous years, wherever a pride march has been banned in other countries, it just leaves the community more fragile. And it often comes with A fueling of hatred. Unfortunately, it does also give more confidence to opposing voices. These are all the reasons why us at Elgir, but many, many of our partners, and starting with the local organizers, but many of the voices, we've been really mobilizing governments and institutions in Europe for the past two weeks to say we all have to really stand strong on this right and cannot allow a country like Serbia, which is, you know, right next door to the EU and also has aspirations to join the European Union, we cannot allow this to go through because it will be a step backwards and not just a step backwards politically and legally, as I explained, but it will be definitely have a chances are it will definitely have a negative impact for people in Serbia.
1: Let's zoom out a bit from right now, what is happening in Belgrade, Serbia this week, the week of the Europe Pride. We know that a few days ago, there has been also a huge march against the rights of the LGBTQI community in Belgrade. We know that the cancelling of the Euro Pride, as it has been called by Vucic, was motivated by the country facing multiple crises, we are not going to discuss all of them right now, but you know, there has been obviously issues with Kosovo over the past months, but the combination of this intention to cancel the pride, this march against the rights of LGBTQI plus people. What does this tell us about the country Serbia, about the development of the rights of this community in Serbia over the past few years, if not decade?
2: I think it's very important not to conflate the decisions of the president at the moment, the mobilizing of anti-LGBTI forces and what's going on amongst the population in Serbia. There's a big difference between what the general public, there's a major, major attempt to instrumentalize LGBTI communities and LGBTI rights as a tool of division as a tool to distract from other issues. And in effect, that's actually what a lot of the organizers in Belgrade are, have been talking about for the past two weeks. The Belgrade Prides have been taking place without violence for quite some years now. But it just so happens that, you know, there is, as you mentioned, increasing tensions with Kosovo. There is increasing economic challenge, socioeconomic challenges. There's also quite a lot of Russian influences going on with the Serbian governments. So many uh, LGBTI activists are seeing that it's actually a way to distract from what the government is doing. But there are some developments that are promising new legislations, new policies that are currently being discussed, whether it's on family rights, whether it's for protection of trans people's rights, etc. But the really worrying trend, which is in Serbia, but as it is in other countries, including EU countries, is more political leaders are using the issue of LGBTI because they still know that there's a potential to use it to divide and distract.
1: I think that this notion of, you know, the development of the rights of LGBTQI plus communities as a distraction tool is really interesting to understand what's going on in different countries. Could you help our audience understand also what have been the improvements therefore in Serbia? Because you pointed to them right now saying that there has been progress going on in the country
2: there's a a lot of promising processes as I will say so you know I know there's been a a draft law on partnership that has been discussed and debated in recent years just as a law on uh, gender recognition that would go a long way in terms of protecting trans people you know action plans which you know always don't seem as important for many people but we actually from a government commitment point of view matter in terms of you know people committing to, to working on the issues so those are all in the works. Serbia is not quite to name another country from the region that has actually you know moved forward when it comes to legislation and policy. So Montenegro has made quite a number of significant steps in recent years including the adoption of marriage but also on, on other issues. So it's not quite there. Montenegro is a little bit of a front runner for countries in that part of, of Europe. but the fact that these potential legislation potential laws are in the works is already a step forward.
1: So given that you touched upon this comparative dimension a bit, to what extent is Serbia representative of the region of the Western Balkans? We all know it's wrong to conflate so many countries just because they are in the same geographical area. What can we say more than the comparison with Montenegro is there something else you would like to add?
2: So this is a region where, you know, uh, LGBTI groups are working a lot together and learning from each other. And as you say, there are clearly, you know, political, socio-cultural specificities to to each of the countries of of the region. But I think that what is happening in the region is there's a bit of an emulation. So, you know, when there's a positive development, because there's, you know, cooperation, when there's a positive development in one country, it helps build the ground for another country, which is where, you know, hopefully on the legislative side, there is still hope that things can continue to progress on the range of things from, as I said, family rights, but also protection against violence and trans rights. And of course, one thing that is common to many of the countries in the region is the fact that they are candidate countries to become members of the European Union. And the mechanism of, of accession to the EU has been an important tool also to work with the governments to say, you know, certain standards have to be met. For the time being, this is still a tool that has, you know, proven to be helpful.
1: We'll be right back. So how does the Western Balkans today compare to Europe, the EU more specifically? I know that it's it's difficult to say and probably the best question for you is just what can we say about the situation in Europe as a whole today? What is the snapshot? What are the tendencies? What are the trends?
2: The trends, sadly, in the last few years have been more worrying than promising. I think to link back to the Western Balkans, I think it's still one of the areas in the broad Europe where we are a little bit more forward looking because there is still a dynamic which is about at least from a legal perspective, there is still a trend, as I just said, at least adopt positive legislation, which is not something we are observing within the EU proper. There are only a few countries who are continuing to try to you know, adopt further and further legislation that will make sure that the rights of people are really recognized and protected properly. That trend has slowed down considerably in recent years. And it's not only because more countries countries have, you know, a good legislation overall, it's because there's less of a will and it's becoming more complicated. And the other trend I would say is what I named earlier is that there's increasing polarization around LGBTI rights, a lot due to how it's being instrumentalized by political leaders, but also how it's being fueled by many opposition groups. And this is where it becomes highly geopolitical because a lot of those groups are fueled by, you know, Russian groups. So there is a big instrumentalization because it's so polarized. It's also what we're observing in many countries, including Western countries where we thought, you know, things were really going quite well. It is having an impact on the daily lives of people because we're going back to having more violence. We're going back to having more hatred, both online and on the streets.
1: Does this also have something to do with the resurgence of, let's say, rather right-wing governments and far-right movements, or is it not linked politically necessary to, to, to this trend?
2: It's not necessarily linked to more far-right governments, especially in Western and, and Northern like Nordic countries. Most of the far-right groups, if I think of countries like um, France or, you know, Sweden or the UK, their rhetoric is not necessarily anti-LGBT. I should say it's not anti-LGBT. Where there is a conflation in, in more Western and Nordic countries is around trans rights. So that is very specifically, very problematic and worrying and increasingly really damaging for trans communities. So there is an anti-trans movement that is becoming more present amongst those political leaders. But we can tie it in most countries, whether we're talking Western Europe or Eastern Europe, we can tie it to really opposition groups, social movement groups that are fueled from just general conservative trends, both tied to the US far right, (laughs) and russia
1: we have analyzed the situation in belgrade in serbia really fragile volatile this week we have talked about how this speaks volumes about the general situation in serbia probably where we have political instrumentalization which needs not to be conflated with uh, opposition in terms of views of societies at large We have talked about the Western Balkans and the comparison with the EU. I would like to move back to close the interview to the Western Balkans and to what is going on in Serbia right now. In terms of future developments, you said that it's more promising what's going on in the Western Balkans because I got the feeling somehow from what you said that there is this feeling of progress, nevertheless, of moving forward with all the challenges, etc. And not necessarily talking about the backlash, which is, you know, bringing back after we have consolidated something. So it feels a bit like there is this challenge, there's this struggle, but it's nevertheless a struggle which has a tendency to move forward somehow. So how do you see the next months and years to come? Maybe let's start from Serbia and then if you want to enlarge on the Western Balkans.
2: What I... Named as where there is positive dynamic, a lot of it comes also from a sense that that is where Serbia and other countries need to go as, you know, part of the, you know, European family, so to speak. But I think how the EU will behave in the coming days (laughs) and around the euro pride hopefully it goes ahead but should there be a ban how the eu will react is gonna determine a lot of how what i was naming as you know positive dynamic continues or not because i think a lot of it rests especially from this the lgbti civil society but also their allies a lot of it rests on the trust they have in the EU and European governments to be working with them and to be on their side. And and when I mean on their side, it's not because it's an us and them, but it's on the side of human rights. And so how the EU will react to what goes on in the coming days will determine if those positive trends that I mentioned continue in that direction or not, because I think it's going to be hugely significant in terms of geopolitical dynamics (laughs) and the EU role When it comes to human rights in the region, from a community perspective, the pride will go ahead as well as can possibly go. And that even if it is banned, that there was a way for it to be turned into a moment of solidarity and for people in Serbia, in the region and beyond, so that at least there is some strength that is, you know, gotten and um, from, from the event.
1: So another note I take from this conversation is the influence of geopolitical dynamics on the rights of uh, LGBTQI plus communities. I think that's also a topic which would deserve a whole podcast on itself, probably. Study. Evelyn, for the moment being, thanks a lot for your insights. It helped us a lot, understanding better the situation in Belgrade, in Serbia, in the Western Balkans, in Europe.
2: My pleasure. Thank you.
1: We'll be right back. You can follow Evelyn Paradis on Twitter at Evelyn Paradis. That's E-V-E-L-Y-N-E-P-A-R-A-D-I-S. And you can follow Ilga Europe equally on Twitter at ILGA Europe. That's I-L-G-A Europe. And this is it for this week's episode of Europe Talks Back. The producer of Europe Talks Back is Antoine Leroux. Sound design is by Jeremy Bouquet. Editing and mixing is by Jeremy Bouquet and Thomas Kosberg. Promotion and marketing by Katrin Scapadas. My name is Alexander Damiano We'll be back next Thursday.